Zach, I got a question for you. Okay. Does it does this sound sound familiar? Boom! <laughs> it gets me every time. It sounds familiar, does it not? Of course. It reminds me of 8:30 this morning when I was awoken from last my night. Awoken from my slumber by just a smash in our hallway. Yeah. So a little bit of context. Yeah. Zach and I are both fans of going to sleep in the rain. Of course. We, but inside rains outside. Right, right, right. I don't like <laughs> sleeping in the rain outside. Good, good clarification. Yeah. And I also like it's okay if it's kind of thunderstorming. I'm not afraid of thunder. Like well, we you don't, used to be. It's senior year. He right, was right. a freshman year. Zach's helped me get over that fear. Thank you, Zach, You're for that. Also for dropping that little pebble that's gonna show up in the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, guys, it was not that kind of rain. No. It was I I think Mountain Creek Park, like Mountain Creek Lake across the road yeah. had a hurricane. Yes. It was raining so hard. It was so windy and it was just crashing up against our window mm-hmm. that it woke me up. But it was like a light a, a rise, you know, mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, man, it's like kind of storming. But I can roll over and shake it off. Yeah. And so I wake up and I make eye contact with one of our other roommates. Shout out Jonathan Linder. Shout out. He's the lightest sleeper both of us have ever have met and probably ever will meet he has so like we kind of acknowledge each other through the other side of the room just kind of a slight head nod and then all of a sudden as soon as i lay my head back down on the pillow we hear just this massive crash in our hallway yeah and and i and this woke me up which is rare which is rare i'm i'm a pretty sound sleeper and you can sleep till the cows come home i can and so we're like what in the world happened and so like immediately didn't hop up and go see but eventually like, you start hearing just crashing outside and like right. the blinds are going everywhere. The sounds change. Yeah, it, was it was no like, longer rains on the outside. It was rains in my hallway. Rain might be on the inside. Yeah. And so Jonathan actually goes, dude, is the window open? I was like, surely not. Right. Like we were not dumb enough to leave the no. window open. And so I was like, I'll get up and see because it's just kind of like getting worse and worse. Right. I opened the door and I was like, oh, my gosh. Our window has broken. Like, I don't even know how it happened, but you know how there's like two panes of a window Mm -hmm. and like one goes up and down to open the window. It had just completely fallen off. So the glass didn't shatter, but ours have this ability, I guess, where you can take the bottom pane out to clean it or whatever. I don't know. So you can like unlatch it at the top and it will fold down. Right. So you can like go through the window. I don't, it's hard to explain, but the window was not permanently like shattered or anything like that, but- it had been blown out of the latch and like f- was flapping down <laughs> like a like a, a little flag in the wind. And then our blinds were just going everywhere and it's pouring like rain is getting inside. Right. Riley, one of our other roommates, shout out Riley Becker, old, old TV sitting right there that was yes. absolutely crushed by the window. Yeah. And so a mat. Well, don't imagine just five guys who are just awoken from their sleep, just hairs going everywhere. Just puffy eyes, yeah. don't know what to do, and we're trying to pull a window because it's jammed too. Right. And like we're getting soaked, and it's just like the weirdest way to wake up I've ever had in my Yeah, but ever. Zach, what you what did you grab to fix it? Uh, duct tape. Duct tape. And so moral of the story really <laughs> is if anything in your life breaks. Spit, spit, and a whole lot of duct tape. Yeah. That's all it takes. That is well, all Because we finally like pushed it back in to where it's blocking the rain from right. it's we're no it's longer doing, being it's, soaked it's doing its job the rain is back on the outside and then we just duct taped it to the top pane of the yeah. window and so i was like it's still sitting there and it's yeah. fine it's a sunny day now but i think we're all good so yeah it's it was been a whole lot of duct tape it was an interesting time to say the least it was you didn't fall back to sleep of course not i of course did <laughs> of course you did of course i did zach you know the only thing better than spit spit and a whole lot of duct tape to fix something what coop you tell me Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. 
Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Coop. It morning. is I. Morning, Coop. Good morning, man. Kind of a rough night of sleep, but we're doing just fine. We've recovered. We've rallied. We had some Panda Express. We did. It's been a good day. It's been a good day. So, another thing about We today. should get paid for that. We're not going to get paid for saying Panda Express, oh, but on, we should Panda. get paid for that. Help me out, Panda. If any of you work for Panda Express and are fans of our work, we're fans of your work. Yeah. So, let's just do something here. Some chow mein. Some orange chicken. Orange chicken. Come on. But today we've got a great episode. I'm not surprised. Let me guess. uh, One of my favorites. Your favorite episode. I think it was my favorite. Hunter Mobley. Mm. He's an Enneagram coach out of Nashville, Texas. Guru. Guru. One might say. Definitely guru. Sensei. Ooh. Jedi master. Okay. He is the master splinter. He is. And we are his ninja turtles. And we have learned a lot from him. And we are excited to learn our Enneagram turtle ninjas. What's cool about him is that he was kind of like an Enneagram disciple of, okay. of okay. Suzanne uh, Stabile okay. uh, out of Dallas, Texas, actually, yep. who wrote the book, The Road Back to You, who like wrote the Enneagram Yeah, book she helped write it. Yeah, co-author. Yeah. And so it's really cool to learn from him. And he was so willing and so helpful. And it's like a lot of people know what their Enneagram number is mm-hmm. and they know what their kind of tendencies are, but they don't know how to use it. Right. It's kind of just it's become pop culture. And you right. see on Instagram, people have drawn things like, yeah. oh, so type eight or right. set, whatever it is. Say, oh, like, I did that because I'm a yeah like, exactly I, yeah it's like no like you gotta know yourself i think that's the first time the listeners have heard you use that voice <laughs> well I'm, i don't use it often i mean i just glad they it's got to hear it. i just didn't want to breeze over it keep going though <laughs> thank you <laughs> but a cool thing i've heard once is you'd never use the enneagram as a sword or as a shield yeah you never stab someone and say you did that because you're a two or you never say hey i did this because i'm an eight right it's not an excuse for anyone's actions no it's only a tool it's just right. a tool to know yourself know your team better so you can be a better leader and and hunter really he just walks through each number i felt like i wasn't even hosting this this episode i feel like he hosted it and i was just like you took a morning off it honestly was kind of like a class yeah he was kind of like teaching and i was like yes yes yeah i like had i have three pages of notes from this episode wow i learned so much uh and he was so cool so nice Mm -hmm. um so this is hunter mobley the enneagram out of nashville tennessee don't miss out here he is hunter mobley Um, let's see. Okay. We're on. Well, Hunter, thank you so much for being with us. And you're all the way in Nashville, kind of this crazy time of social distancing. Uh, (laughs) we are six feet apart. I can promise. We can guarantee that. that. But I want you to introduce yourself. How'd you get into the Enneagram and how'd you get to Nashville? Absolutely. So I'm from Nashville. My name's Hunter Mobley. Um, I hope your listeners will kind of follow me, EnneagramHunter.com and yeah. on social media, Enneagram Hunter. So I'm an Enneagram teacher based in Nashville, which is my hometown, um, born and raised here. And I learned the Enneagram through one of your neighbors, Zach, yeah. uh, Suzanne Stabile, who's a great master Enneagram teacher. And so I have apprenticed with Suzanne and now I work with Suzanne um, out of their ministry center in Dallas. And I travel and teach the Enneagram to groups. And so I'm excited to be able to have this this conversation with you today yeah. on your podcast because in this weird moment that we're in, of course, all events have been canceled. So, right. um, so I'm looking right now through the end of May 31, kind of all those traveling events have been canceled. So we're having to be creative about how to deliver the Enneagram to folks in this time. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for choosing to be with us and to, yeah. to share a little bit of what you know. Um, we're Like we were just talking about, we're going to walk through kind of two different aspects of the Enneagram. We're going to break this up into two episodes. The first being, what is the Enneagram? How do we use it? How do we know what we are? How do we become self-aware in it? And then the second one being, how does stress impact uh, the Enneagram and how does the Enneagram numbers deal with stress. So let's kind of start there. Start with a broad, what is the Enneagram and how do we use it? Absolutely. So Zach, the Enneagram is a personality tool, like a lot of them that that folks are familiar with. So some folks may have encountered Myers-Briggs or DISC or Strength Finder, Berkman. There's a lot of great personality tools in the world. Uh, The Enneagram is one of those. And I think it's got some great features to it that kind of distinguish it. And so let me just kind of back way up for a second before we tour the nine numbers and um, give us an introduction to why we need a personality. Totally. So I think about personality like I would think about a house. You know, if you've got a house, you've got a front porch and a living room um, to your house. Think about that for a moment. Think about a front porch and a living room. Those are the first places that people encounter when they meet you. Um, when they come to your house, that's the first area they're going to get into. That's the area that's most swept up, cleaned up, ready for guests and visitors. Our personalities are our front porches and living rooms, but our houses, they have kitchens and dens and bedrooms and family rooms and backyards and back porches. And that's where a lot of the really intimate stuff happens. The really true stuff, the stuff that's reserved for people that we really know and trust and are safe with. Mm -hmm. Our personalities and ourselves are like that too. We have a front porch and a living room and that's our personality. It's the first thing that people meet when they meet us. Mm -hmm. If I meet you at the grocery store in the produce section and we have a conversation, you're, you're meeting my personality, right? Um, It's kind of just the first thing you encounter. But beyond that, we have souls. And um, as Christians, we might use the language that Paul would use of the Christ in you and the Christ in me. Mm. We just have some deeper stuff in us that moves beyond personality. So the Enneagram describes nine different front porches and living rooms, nine different personalities. And um, Enneagram is just a Greek word that that combines two words that Ennea meaning nine and gram meaning figure. Mm. So the word Enneagram is just describing a figure, like if you Google Enneagram, you'll see this image that has kind of almost like a circle with nine numbers around. Right. And those nine numbers represent nine different personality types. Mm. And so the reason why we use a tool like the Enneagram is so that we can have a language for our personality so that we can know, is our personality healthy or is it unhealthy? And, and if our personality is healthy, it's actually easier for us to get through personality to our souls, to the Christ in you and the Christ in me, so that you and I aren't always having a personality to personality encounter. We might be able in some limited moments have a soul to soul encounter or a Christ in you, Christ in me encounter. So people sometimes get concerned with personality systems that we're just kind of navel gazing and, and obsessing about Um, our different personality features. But the reason why we use the Enneagram is actually to help personality diminish so that soul and truer stuff inside of us, deeper, truer self, the Christ in you, the Christ in me can emerge more and more. So the Enneagram helps us know how healthy are we in these nine personalities. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and and nine is is you know sometimes people think, oh my gosh, are we talking about nine different numbers that describe right. seven billion people on the planet? And so just remember, we're painting always with a broad brush, mm-hmm. and there are as many different ways of being each of these nine numbers as there are humans, because right. we all have very unique stories and experiences and ways that these personalities play out. So we're talking in in kind of a broad way about nine different sort of cluster personality types where we all kind of gather around one of those nine. Right. I love that that's how you started and painted with that broad brush because I feel like people know bits and pieces about the Enneagram. And so they're able to use it as in kind of a a sword or shield type way. It's like you did that because you are this number. I did this simply because I'm that number. But when you fully understand the full, the personality in the soul side, you're able to fully know and be self-aware of who you are and why you make decisions. And so that's what we want to talk about. And the, just the 30,000 foot view of what are each of these numbers. And if you want more information, you have content, uh, Suzanne Stabley, she wrote a book as well, or a couple books on this. And so they can dive more into it, but let's dive right into the numbers. Um, So yeah, yeah, where'd they come from? So here, here's, here's how we'll dive into them. Um, The Enneagram describes a wound that characterizes each of the nine types. So I want to introduce your listeners to the nine wounds that characterize these Enneagram types and talk yeah. a little bit about how those wounds play out into behaviors. Okay, That's I love one it. of the things that distinguishes the Enneagram. It's not, it's not principally about how do you behave. It's more about what motivates you. So what are the wounds and the longings and the desires inside of you that mm-hmm. make up behaviors? Okay. Um, so we'll start with one. Let's do it. Know, just kind of go around the numbers. Right. And so we're going to talk about a childhood wound. I know that's that sounds like a fun topic, doesn't it? Of course. <laughs> I love talking about, about childhood, childhood wounds. wounds. Yeah, this is so um, exciting. But, yeah. We're talking about a wound that people pick up in childhood, and it just informs the ways that we act. So ones pick up a wound in childhood that says, it is not okay to make mistakes. Mm. Um, you should be able to be perfect. And if you're going to be loved, it's going to be because you conformed your behavior to a rigid set of guidelines. Mm. So it's not okay to make mistakes. You should be able to be perfect. If you're going to be loved, it's going to be because you met the mark. You know, you reached the pinnacle and the goal of behavior. So that is, that means that ones have, have, acted on that wound for their life by perfecting things themselves and others. And so ones typically, they see things usually as right or wrong or good or bad or black and white. And um, they always want to do better and they always want to do right. And they've got this inner critic that tells them they probably haven't met the mark and they probably haven't done right and they probably could do better. So ones are pretty hard on themselves and hard on other people sometimes. But when ones see transformation through the Enneagram, ones are able to move from black and white thinking, dualistic thinking to both and thinking. And they're able to make room for the fact that perfection isn't always the goal that we're asked for um, and that things sometimes can just be good enough and that's okay. Right. But so that's a little bit about the wound that just kind of makes up the dynamic that ones are living with. Um, yeah. So so that's why, you know, ones are the number that are hard on themselves, um, see things as, as kind of right or wrong, mm. 
are really, really trying to do right. You know, they've got, I'll also kind of tell you for each of the numbers, there's a core sin attached to each number. Right. And for ones, it's resentment. Mm. And resentment for ones looks like this. It looks like a one feeling like they have spent their whole life doing what was right and doing what was expected. And everybody else has not followed the rules as closely as they have. And that means that the one has had to, pick up the pieces where other people left off and ones are a little resentful. Um, and so, so resentment is that core sin for ones. Yeah. So knowing that about a one, how do we win with a one? How do we get to them? How do we lead them? Well, knowing that they're their own worst critic. So we don't need to be too Absolutely. hard on them. How do we win with a one? If, if you are in relationship with a one, you've got to know that all feedback is first received as criticism for ones. Mm. So even if you're giving positive feedback, it's received as criticism because they're thinking, yeah, but when's the other shoe going to drop? Yeah, but why aren't you commenting about this other thing that I did? Does Mm -hmm. that mean you hate it? So so once here, feedback is criticism. So if you love a one, if you're working with a one, if you're leading a one, you've got to know that if you're providing feedback to them, it's got to be very safe. You've got to make a lot more deposits than withdrawals. And you have to help a one by saying, how can I help you make this what you need it to be? Because the one needs it to be better and more perfect than what other numbers need it to be. And so we've got to learn how to how to care for ones in their need to make things better and to make things perfect. That's good. Any other information we need to know about the one before we move on? Yeah, no, let's let's go on to twos okay. um, and, and kind of talk about the wound for twos and the sin for twos. Let's do it. I'm a two. Okay. I haven't asked you, Zach, what number are you? So I'm a three. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. We're, we're headed there next. Okay, good. I'm excited. Um, so, so twos have a wound that says, if you're going to be loved, it's going to be because you were helpful hmm. to everybody around you. Hmm. So... So here's the thing. Twos just grew up in this kind of context where they felt like, you know what? I better not have too many needs of my own. I better push my own needs and desires down and and then identify with the needs and desires of other people and help them and and serve them and rescue them and fix them and save them. So so twos are the number that is the most emotionally intuitive number on the Enneagram. That's something to know about twos. But they're very tied into your emotions, Mm -hmm. not to their own emotions. So so if you ask a two, what are you feeling today? How are you feeling today? That's often a mystery for twos. But if you ask a two, how is your friend John feeling today? They could probably tell you with a lot of accuracy how someone else is doing, how someone else is feeling because twos over-identify with other people's needs. That's interesting. And so, so twos, you know, are sometimes called the helpers on the Enneagram. So they're giving and they're helping and they're intervening and saving and rescuing. And the problem with that is they're pushing their own needs down and they are over-involving themselves sometimes in the life of other people. So mm-hmm. sometimes people who twos are helping feel like, oh my gosh, it's whoa, 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 back off. I didn't ask you for, for help right now. This is too much. You're a little too involved. You know, when I as a two have been in unhealthier seasons of my own life, I've gotten, I've gotten too involved and almost created codependent enmeshed relationships with other people. 
Mm-hmm. So twos are the relationship number, and that gives their strength and their weakness. Um, they're good at relationships, but they're so good at relationships that they have to be careful not to create codependent and meshed mm-hmm. relationships. That's good. And and the sin for twos is pride. <laughs> and what pride means is it's not about you know pride in their possessions or their house or their car. The, the sin of pride for twos is twos feeling like they're okay and they don't have any needs so they can pour all their attention and energy into you because you're not okay. And mm-hmm. you seem like you've got a lot of needs. You know, that's what yep. teams kind of feel like with everybody. So, but the pride is, well, really, we should turn the mirror toward ourselves and recognize we have our own needs. We have our own problems, right. um, but we've kind of diminished those. And so we see ourselves sometimes as the savior and the rescuer and the hmm. fixer. It's interesting. So, so the way that you can love, you know, your, your question, which is yeah. really about how can we love and care for twos yeah. if we're leading them or living with them or working with them. Um, one, you got to know the more, the most important thing for twos to ask themselves is, is this mine to do? Mm-hmm. Because twos are doing a lot of things that isn't, aren't, aren't theirs to do. So if you're loving and working with and leading a two, you got to recognize the two is usually going to jump in and volunteer every time. And they're, they're your yes person. They're your yes man or your yes woman. And that's really nice and tempting if you're working with or living with the two. Right. But if you're going to love them well, you've got to know that sometimes when they jump in to say yes, it's just an invitation for you if you're a safe person to say, okay, that's awesome. We would love for you to help with this. But let me just make sure that this isn't going to take you away from something that really is more critical or important for you to do. So let's kind of mm. work through that together or let's talk through that together. That's good. Um, because twos, twos are putting out fires all the time. So, so like for me as a two, I'm always abandoning my plans because somebody in front of me needs me. Right. And, and what I really need to do is I need to sometimes say, wow, actually I need to, to slow down and I need to get to these plans to push my life forward. And not always just be responding to the fire or the crisis of moment. Mm, that's interesting, and it's also interesting that you say that their their core um, issue or their core sin is that pride, and and yeah. knowing that that is a human issue as well. Because I'm like, Absolutely. oh, thankfully that's not my numbers issue, <laughs> but I'm like, no, that is my issue as a, yeah, as a sinful yeah. human as well. But that's Absolutely. amazing. We need twos. We love twos. I live with a two, and he's one of the most amazing people to be around. But I've never even thought about how you get around that of saying, Hey, you need to think about yourself as well, because you have yeah. issues that you need to deal with before you help me with mine as well. Right, I think that's right. so good. Okay. Next one. We have the three. Three. So, so careful. Go. This is me. I know. This <laughs> well, is kind of tricky. <laughs> no, so, I'm kidding. Just say we'll, we'll both be glad when we're done with twos and threes. Right? I love it. Um, so the wound that threes carry says this, it says, if you're going to be loved, it's going to be because you wowed us with your successes and with your accomplishments. So, so here's the thing. If you're going to be loved, it's going to be because you wowed us with your successes and accomplishments. Mm. So threes feel like that it's not okay for them to have their own identity. Mm. They feel like they need to adapt and flex to take on the identity that is needed for every context. Right. So threes are the most flexible and adaptable number on Enneagram, which is their strength and their right. opportunity for growth, which means that you can drop a three into almost any context 
any school, any kind of community, any job, any family situation. And the three will intuitively figure out how do I win in this context? Right. Um, and, and the three can kind of change and shape shift a little bit to, um, to make sure that they're operating successfully in that context. And so that's a, that's, you know, a strength and a challenge, right? Right. Um, so threes are the most adaptable, most flexible. They're the most oriented toward efficiency, toward success, toward goals. If a three doesn't have a goal, they feel like they're drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at the airport not too long ago and a guy in front of me in line waiting to get on the plane, he was reading a book that I guarantee had to have been written by three because <laughs> the title was this right away and all at once, five steps to transform your life and business. Sounds about <laughs> so like, right. That just characterizes threes. They, they love steps. They love goals and they want to meet those goals quickly and right away and mm-hmm. all at once. And they want things to grow and to build the scale. Hmm. So, so here's, you know, now that we've talked about ones and threes, let me distinguish between those two numbers for a second, because both ones and threes do things really well, do things excellently, and they are high achieving. Right. The difference is a one has called Ikea and asked Ikea to send the missing washer to the back of the bookshelf that wasn't in the box because it was supposed to have a washer on this one bolt on the back of the bookshelf. A three, on the other hand, finished putting the bookshelf together three hours ago and are on to the next thing. The bookshelf looks great. It's up, but there's a handful of of extra screws left over because a three is, is oriented to efficiency, whereas ones want to do things perfectly. Hmm. That's so So, good. Yeah. I love that. How you distinguish between the two, because a lot of what you're saying, it sounds like they're very similar in the perfection, the success being loved by what you do, but that's a great point of efficiency versus perfection as well. Yeah. So the sin for threes is deceit. And, and here's the thing though. I, I always want to tell people when I talk about the Enneagram threes are not trying to deceive you. This is not a, this is not threes or trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. This is actually a self-deceit because threes have lost a little bit in touch with who they truly, truly are at their core because they have become so good at adapting and flexing and putting on different identities. Right. So the challenge, the spiritual invitation for threes is to d- discover what is really, really true about you. What is really, really foundational about you? Who are you truly beyond what you do, the jobs you've had, the the clothes you've worn, you know, right. the masks you've had to put on to be successful, all that. So deceit mm. is really a self-deceit. It's not an other's deceit. Threes right. are never trying to deceive anyone or trying to pretend or anything like that. They're just so good at adapting and flexing that they have tried on a lot of different lives and a lot of different perspectives in their one life. Hmm. That's so interesting. I I love the way you put all that. How do we win with a three? How do we lead them? How do we love them? Well, well, you got to know that threes need goals. So if you're leading a three, if you're working on a team with a three, if you're trying to win with a three, you got to know threes need goals and they need things to be efficient and they don't, they're not, always that interested in talking about feelings because feelings sometimes kind of slow them down. So if you're, you're trying to lead a three, just know that, know that, know that they, they want you to 
um, work with them. They want to kind of be in relationship with you. They want to know about your feelings, but they're going to be probably moving at a quicker pace than you are. And especially if you're leading a three, you've got to make sure they've got clear goals to meet because if they don't have clear goals to meet, they are going to feel like they're drowning or they're swimming or nothing is really happening productively. That's so good. I love that. All right. Next up is the four. Next up is the four. What do we need to know about the four? So, so the wound that fours carry is this, the world does not have enough room for your complicated, diverse feelings. Hmm. The world does not have enough room for your complicated, diverse feelings. Fours have so many feelings. It's unbelievable. The feelings that you and I, Zach, have in the span of two weeks where we might have a day where we were sad and a day where we were lonely and a day where we were really happy and it was great. Fours have that diversity of feeling in 20 minutes. Hmm. They have feeling after feeling after feeling. And sometimes it's hard to know which one actually to pick up and attach to or to work with. And so fours have felt like ever since they were born, almost somebody has been telling them, whoa, 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 whoa. You're a little bit too much for me. Mm. Turn it down just a little bit. Try not to be so extra. Um, can, maybe could you just be a little bit more normal? Could you just be a little bit more even? Huh. So fours have heard that message their whole lives and it's, it's made them feel misunderstood. It's made them feel unseen. Right. And it's made them feel a little bit isolated from the rest of the people, even people that they love very deeply. And so a lot of fours give voice to that kind of sense of being a little bit misunderstood through private artistic expression. Hmm. Um, And so fours fours have this kind of sense of artistry. It doesn't mean they're all artists and poets. They might be professional basketball players, but it does mean that there's some kind of sense of expression where they want to express themselves. It might be how they dress. It might be what they do. It might be how they talk. It might be what their house looks like, but they're trying to express themselves because they want to be known. So the expression, so what they wear, how their house looks, is there almost emotions coming out? Absolutely. There's some way of, because fours, it's a way of expressing emotion and it's a way of expressing core identity because fours feel a little bit like you don't see them. Interesting. Because we've always told them, whoa, can you just be more normal? Can you just be more regular? And so there's some way that they're trying to get us to see them, who they really are through maybe the way that they hold themselves or express themselves. That's fascinating. So how do we win with a four? So, so the way that we win with a four, and then I, I want to tell you quickly about the sin for a four too. Okay. To that's right. That going. But, but the way that we win for a four is to know that fours are our tour guides to great beauty. So if you've got a four that is on your team, in your family, in your life, they are the person who sees color where everybody else sees black and white. They see texture where everybody else sees flat. Hmm. So you've got to let them bring that gift to the team and know that they see connections between things that nobody else sees. And you've got to, you've got to help, help say to them in some way without using these exact words. Of course, I don't understand you. Nobody understands you, (laughs) but I do have room for all of you. And if you can communicate somehow to a four that you love or work with or lead, that you have room for all of them and they don't need to turn some of it down or leave some of it at the door, you have all of a sudden become a safe person for them and they will let you see 
the beautiful person that they are. Hmm, um, so interesting. So, so let me just tell you quickly before we move on to fives about their sin. Because the okay. sin for fours is envy. Hmm. And here's what envy is about. It's not about, you know, envious of your bank accounts or right. you know, whatever. Fours are envious of the way that the rest of us just get to be normal, hmm. <laughs> which sounds crazy. But the it thing does is, sound crazy. The, the fours think the rest of us have it easier in life. Right. They think we get to be normal, whereas they feel misunderstood and kind of unique and odd. But the trick is fours kind of envy our normalcy, but they don't want to be normal. Hmm. So it's this loop that fours get in. And, and what fours need to learn from that core sin is you need to join the human race and realize that we're all unique. We're all, nobody gets, gets out of this world easy. You know, right. life is difficult for everybody in right. some way or for some of us in lots of ways. And so fours have to learn to not envy what seems like greener grass in how everybody else operates in the world, but realize we've all got a struggle and we've all got a burden that we're carrying. Hmm, that's so good. The grass is greener is just killing our generation of this comparison and social media. And it's so interesting how it comes out, especially in the, the envy of a four. That's so good. Yeah. Okay. The five kind of one I don't know much about kind of an yeah, unknown, yeah, a wild card. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, I think the reason why people sometimes you're not the only person that would say that Zach and I think some of the reason is fives are the most private number on the Enneagram. Well, that would make sense. So they're a little bit more mysterious and, and we don't sometimes know as many fives as right. we do other numbers because fives kind of keep to themselves a little bit more than other numbers. So the, the, the core wound for fives is don't be too comfortable in the world because the universe is not abundant. Resources are scarce. Hmm. So you better learn how to preserve and ration the few resources that you have. Interesting. Don't be too comfortable in the world because the universe is not abundant. Resources are scarce. So you better learn to preserve and ration and maybe hoard yeah. the few resources that you have. So fives, here's, here's the thing. So fives have felt like they are lacking in right. time, in affection, in um, energy, their whole lives. And so they are managing time and affection and energy every single day. Hmm. So let me, let me talk about energy for a five, because energy for a five is like manna. Every day, there's a new store of it. You know, you got a new tank of energy every day, but every phone call takes it down. Every voicemail takes it down. Every email takes it down. And so fives are managing that and they're trying to get home to whoever is at home at the end of the day before they run out. Right. So that's why fives, they don't want to go to the meeting. They don't want to be on the committee. Usually they don't want you to just pop into their office unannounced. They don't really want you to call them on the phone. They'd rather you email them or text yeah. them. Huh. Um, and it's all because fives are feel like they don't have enough. Um, and so the, the sin for fives is related to that and it's greed hmm. and it's a greed of always trying to kind of grab up a little bit more, a little bit more information, a little yeah. bit more knowledge, a little bit more time, a little bit more affection, a little bit more physical resources. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're leading a five, if you're trying to win with a yeah. five, um, 
first of all, if you're going to treat and love them well, you've got to know that everything that you want from them costs them something Mm -hmm. because their energy goes down through the day. It doesn't get replenished through the day. And so you've got to be very thoughtful about what you ask from them. Um, If you want them to be in the meeting, if you want them to be in the group project, if you want them to be on the phone call, you've got to know that's going to cost them something. And so if you are leading and loving a five will, you will give them some space by themselves to do their work, to do their life, to fulfill their interest, and then let them come back into relationship with you, but then let them go away, then let them come back, then let them go away. So like as a two, I'm a relationship person. I always want to talk to people. I want to be with you. I want to, right. you know, I want to, us to have a meeting, you know, all that stuff. I've got to know as a two, that is very draining for a five. And I can't ask that from a five without that taking a lot away from me. Hmm. That would make sense of me not knowing much about them, that, that energy, the tank. I love the way you put it, the tank of everything takes a little bit out of, because in my mindset as a three, I feel like every little thing might fill it up a little bit Absolutely. and keep going, keep going, keep going. But I have to realize and know what it's like to be on the other side of me and know that not everyone is like me. And right. some people, it does drain the tank like that. I love Absolutely. that. That's such a good way to think about it. Okay. The six, six, the loyalist. So six. Uh, yeah, six have a wound that's it's got two parts. Part one is the world is full of danger, hmm. and and man, I mean, gosh, that's true. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know they're the not wrong. Full of danger, they're not wrong. But part two is, and you shouldn't trust yourself to navigate through that danger on your own. Hmm. You should find some institutions or some people or some systems of belief that are stronger than you to tell you how to make it through this dangerous world. Hmm. And so sixes have lived their life kind of finding their safety in groups and in community, because if they can be with other people and they can be a part of the group, they can be a part of the church or they can be a part of the club or community, then they feel safe because there's a security in communities that they're a part of. Um, And so sixes Sixes, uh, they do a lot of worst case scenario planning and they see problems around every corner. They come into a room and they, they immediately kind of learn, you know, where are the exits? What would I do if this happened? How would I get home safely from this meeting? Um, the interesting thing about the season of life where we are, you know, we're in a season where, of course, nationally and internationally, we're all waking up to the fact that there's danger all right. And, and the caricature of a six might say, oh, so sixes are just freaked out and scared and afraid. No, sixes are actually steady in the face of actual danger right. because they have planned for it. They have thought about it. Hmm. They have readied their, themselves more than some of the rest of us have. That's interesting. And so, so sixes are actually the ones we need to rely on in these uncertain times because they have done more work, more readiness than some of the rest of us have. And the core sin for a six is fear. Um, But fear really looks like anxiety. You know, it's this, if fear is a mood music that just runs through the six's life, it's like, it's just there every day and it doesn't paralyze them. It doesn't stop them, but it's there every day. So there's always a spiritual invitation for sixes to um, follow the, the words of, of uh, Frederick, I think Frederick Buechner said, uh, here is the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. Be not afraid. 
Right. That's, that's always kind of an invitation for sixes. Yeah. That's a good thing to know and to be able to recite to a six in one of those moments. So kind of a, kind of a different question for the six that I kind of thought of what would be a good job for a six for they're always ready and prepared to face danger, but they're also dealing with that fear. Absolutely. So sixes are great in jobs that have to do with leading and protecting and being a part of a community. Hmm. So um, sixes are great, you know, working in schools and, you know, being a part of that whole community that school provides. There's a lot of sixes that work on university campuses because that community feels exciting and it feels important. There's a lot of sixes that are, you know, running their homeowners associations or are president of the PTA at their children's schools. Um, so sixes are really good. They're, they're not, they wouldn't love to be in a job where it's very isolating or all about solo work or being alone. They usually like to be in jobs where it's about a community and it's about, um, a whole group coming together and doing something together. That really Mm. feels good to a six. Oh, that's good. Such a good way of putting that the community aspect of their getting around people, not isolated and getting, they're almost like protectors as well. If you can get six guardians, yeah. And they put their arms around a group of people. I think that's where they thrive best. That's so good. Okay. The sevens, the seven of some, we love yeah, sevens. We love sevens. Sevens, you know, they're the number of everybody. Every day's a snow day. You know, right, sevens, right. Are, sevens are a lot of fun. They're the life of the party. But the wound for a seven says this. Hmm. You shouldn't depend on anybody for anything. Hmm. So, so think about that for a second. This is a number who are, they're making their own fun. They are having adventures. They like spontaneity. They like things to be different. They want to try new things. They want to savor life. They want to have jokes, you know, all that. But what's going on behind the surface is this thing, this wound that says, you know what, you should do all this because you probably shouldn't depend on anybody for anything. At the end of the day, your happiness, your joy, your adventure, your way in the world is probably just dependent on you making it through on your own. And so that's why sevens are very independent, even though they're a lot of fun and they're part of the family and they like to be in relationship. Oftentimes we say, yeah, but they kind of march to the beat of their own drummer or they're a little bit off on their own in some way. There's parts of them we don't all know. And it's because they are very independent um, based on that wound. And the sin for a seven is gluttony. Yep. Which kind of makes sense because sevens, it's like they have this insatiable desire for more and new and change and other and adventure. And so sevens, actually, their spiritual invitation is learning to want less, not more, and weren't huh. learning to live with less, not more, and learning to live with limits. Because sevens, the scariest thing for a seven is to be trapped in pain. And so, so much of what sevens are doing is is trying to kind of escape and get away from sadness, loneliness, grief, despair, pain. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot more to sevens than people think. They Absolutely. they see the seven as just the the fun, the go getter. They're out doing stuff, but there's so much more that we can really dive into and dig into. And if you use a seven, it's like they're kind of like an arrow. And if you point them in the the right direction, you will have a deadly weapon on your team. Absolutely. So how do we win with the seven? How do we do? Absolutely. How do we point them in the right direction? Well, you give them some freedom. 
and help them not feel boxed in. So, so it's, it's, you're managing, you're managing kind of the need to point them in the right direction and also let them know that they've got some freedom. They're not trapped and that um, things aren't always going to be the same. So if you give a seven kind of maybe a set of options, maybe it's a limited set of options, but right. a set of options rather than just, here's the one thing I need you to do, go do it. And I need you to do it every day like this. That's good. Then you're going to help a seven feel a little bit freer and a little bit more like they can express themselves and they can be creative and not feel trapped. Hmm. Um, but the other thing that you got to know is sevens, they want to reframe all negative emotion into something positive. Yeah. And if you really love a seven, well, you got to help them not do that. Mm-hmm. You get this, the second they start to make light of their own pain or make it, make themselves the brunt of the joke. You've got to safely kind of say, Oh, Hey, come on now. Like yeah. I really want to know who you are. I really want to, if this is hard for you, or if you're, if you're truly sad or you're in pain, I really do want to know. And I want to be with you in this. We don't have to kind of just make you the brunt of the joke every time. Right. That's so good. So good. Because they want kind of the, the fun. And you think that yeah. them doing that is them being their fun, energetic type. Right. But there's so much more. I think there's layers to sevens that people yeah. pass over. Um, yeah. Okay, there's two more. We got an eight. Two more. Eights. So the wound that eights carry says, everybody in your life is capable of betraying you. Hmm. everybody in your life is capable of betraying you. And so eights feel like, so they better be tough. Hmm. They better not be too vulnerable. They better protect themselves. So that's why eights are a little tough. They're a little intimidating because they are, they're really keeping themselves for themselves. They're keeping their, their deepest kind of stuff a little bit hidden from you because they're not sure you're trustworthy to handle it. Um, so eights, you know, sometimes in their life, eights may only trust five people in a whole lifetime. Um, and so you got to know if you're, if you're somebody in relationship with an eight, you've got to carry that trust that they have given you so carefully because it only takes one time to get off of an eights list as a trustworthy person. So eights are a little bit intimidating. Um, they, they are a little bit aggressive because they are, seeing opportunities for betrayal everywhere. And they're trying to protect themselves from that. Hmm. So the core sin for an eight um, is lust, which, you know, that we have to kind of give the Enneagram definition. It's a little bit different. And the Enneagram definition for lust for an eight is eights. They want more. They want experiences to have an intensity and a charge similar to a sexual charge. So if it's not intense, it usually doesn't feel intimate to an eight. So, so there's actually in that sin, there's kind of this spiritual invitation for eights to see, okay, but how can eights actually get more in touch with softer, tenderer, less intense feelings? Hmm. How can eights um, enjoy context and people and experiences that are not always ramped up to a hundred percent. Right. You know, so that's, that's just some of the things that eights have to kind of learn to manage. That's good. Um, if you're, if you're leading an eight, you know, if yeah. you're trying to win with an eight, you got to know that eights hate to lose. Um, they don't like to be exposed. They like to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, they like to be in charge. They don't have to be in control, but here's the thing. They don't want you to control them. So if you love an eight 
and you're leading an eight, you've got to do everything you can do to make sure they know you are not trying to control them. You are not trying to limit them. And if you do that, then they will be more vulnerable with you and they'll, they'll trust you more. But you got to show them that you're not trying to just take charge and control right. them because they really don't like to be controlled. Yeah, that's so good. I think, I mean, a lot of people, even me, and that's kind of my personality too, of not wanting to be controlled, but really just aiming them in the right direction because kind of similar to the threes and ones, they can be their own worst critic and you don't have to be Absolutely. too hard on them. You don't have to control them because they, they know when they've messed up. They know when they've, they've done that, they've done this and, and they, they can correct, they can course correct on their own. Um, so I think there's a lot of power in the eights, but you have to be able to tenderize them, if you will. You got to yeah. soften them uh, yeah. to emotions, but last one on the list the nine, one, nine. sometimes forgotten but sometimes loved but so loved so important we love nines yeah it's funny i i've changed sometimes i started to teach not starting with ones because nines tell me gosh you get to us at the very end and we're already worried that our presence doesn't matter <laughs> but, but so so the wound for nines is they carry a wound that says um really, I'm not sure your presence matters that much in this context. So you should go along and get along with everybody around you and not demand too much for yourself or not take up too much room because maybe your presence doesn't make a big difference here. Hmm. And so let me talk quickly about the difference between twos and nines because twos and nines have a similar wound. Both okay. twos and nines feel like, hey, we should go with what other people want to do. We should go with other people's goals and dreams and desires, not our own. But the difference is twos, twos then move toward other people and say, okay, Zach, so let me help you be the best you that you can be. Right. And I may get real involved and I may really get in your face and I may really be present in your life a lot. Nines on the other end, they step back and they say, okay, so, Zach, you go forward and you do you, and I'll kind of just be back here and not take up too much room. Gotcha. So, it's a different posture. Twos are moving toward other people, nines are moving away from other people, hmm. but both twos and nines are trying to um, kind of go with other people's stuff rather right. than make big room for their own stuff. Um, the sin for nines is sloth, <laughs> and nines <laughs> hate it when I say that sometimes. Yeah. But, but the, so let me say this, nines are not lazy. They are right. not lazy. They're not lazy. Actually, yeah. nines are often doing more than other people on the Enneagram. They're busy. They're doing. The difference is sometimes nines are doing things so that they don't have to do the things that they really need to do. Uh, it's like uh. there's a sloth of getting to your own important big stuff. Um, and so nines have to learn to ask themselves, what is the right thing for me to do today? And how do I not just procrastinate and put off the right things for me to do by just busy work or right. just kind of, you know, sometimes nines are reorganizing the kitchen drawer because they don't want to actually take the online class that's going to help them finish their degree to get the job that they want to really have. Right. That all feels like too much to nines. Okay. Um, sometimes the other thing we just got to say before we leave nines is, is to say that nines are motivated by peace. They want everything to be peaceful. They don't want anything to steal their peace and they don't want to rob you of your peace. Right. So, so the spiritual limitations for nines is usually to learn 
the absence of conflict does not mean the presence of peace. Hmm. Um, so if you want to win with a nine, if you're yeah. leading a nine or living with a nine, what you got to do is you got to know they're not going to be the first to jump in. They're not going to be the first to lead. They're not going to be the first one to raise their hand and speak up and share an idea. But they may have the best idea. They may be the best leader. Yeah. They may have the most information. So if you're a leader and you're leading a nine, you've got to make room for them to actually bring themselves to the table. And you've got to actually say, you know, okay, well, now let's circle over here to, to you know, Mary, our nine right. on our team. And Mary, what do you think about all this? Because you just got to know they're not going to assert themselves very often. Right. That's so good. I love the idea of making room and allowing them to speak and asking the question, Hey, what do you have to think the the say on this? Because they're not just going to come out and say it. So make room at the table and then create a space where they can freely talk and share their ideas because they're valuable, but they don't feel valuable. Yeah, That is so good. So now that Hunter, we know all nine numbers, we have a kind of a, a, a glimpse into their lives. How do we take this information and we use it and we apply it? What, what do we do now? Absolutely. If you know your number, the first step is you've got to learn what the shadow and light in your number is. So every number, you know, all the numbers are equally great and equally hard, right? So there's no good numbers and bad numbers. But for every one of the nine numbers, um, there are great things and there are opportunities for growth. And you've got to you've got to evaluate yourself and say, where am I? Um, am I doing well in my personality? Is my personality taking over the day right. or is my personality actually helping? So, so that's what we've all got to start with. We've got to get, give ourselves a test, give ourselves an inventory of how well we're doing in our personality mm-hmm. and, and then learn how to put on the healthiest stuff in our personality, the, the most effective stuff, the stuff that's the most transformed that actually helps us get back in touch with our souls and then the Christ in you and Christ in me. So Hmm. that's our main goal. What does it look like to be healthy in your number? Hmm. That's always, and then there's a lifetime of work beyond that for people who love the Enneagram and want to go deeper, but that's the starting point. Well, that's so good. Hunter, thank you so much uh, for, for this part one of the Enneagram, knowing your number, being self-aware and learning from it. And if they want more information on this, give them your website or or how they can find you. Enneagramhunter.com and on Instagram and Facebook is Enneagram Hunter. And I'd love for you to follow me. And, uh, and hopefully we can all meet up at an event sometime soon. Come on, come on. We'd love to. Well, Hunter, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Zach. Hey, thanks for listening to that amazing episode with Hunter Mobley. If you're still around, I want to give you a little something that not many people know about. We have a bonus episode coming out this Wednesday, a bonus Enneagram episode with Hunter Mobley. We talk about stress and how each Enneagram type responds to stress. It's it's a stressful time right now in the the midst of a global pandemic, the coronavirus, and, and everything's kind of panicking, but know yourself to lead yourself. Know how your specific number, your specific Enneagram type responds to stress. You do not want to miss it. This Wednesday, Hunter Mobley. Go check it out. We'll see you then.